Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic. Welcome to this week's show. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Download past shows, subscribe, leave a review. That kind of stuff helps the bottom line. While you're there, sign up for our email list. Receive weekly updates on new shows, merchandise, promos, and free giveaways. The winner of this week's free giveaway of a deluxe box set of Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules is David Jablonski of Oneonta, New York. Last week's guest was Vinny Apice of Sabbath. The band released a new box set, and David picked that up. So if you want to get some winnings and get in drawings, just go back to the website and sign up for the email list. So tonight's show, Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent Southern Cal has done his heavy metal homework, and we're pulling the curtain back on the music and metal industry touring business. Cal has an interview with uh, David Heath, a national staging coordinator, and we have Taylor Henry, from florida she's a promoter that has put on some 80s themed uh concerts down in the florida area for about six or seven years so they're coming up a little later but first i have randy peck now randy owns rochester entertainment and one of his uh major businesses he's the owner and operator of the montage music hall up here in rochester new york the montage is a 400 capacity club that hosts mainly rock and heavy metal acts but not limited to that you know it's a live entertainment club well randy's going to be on in just a minute and he's going to tell us about how his club overcame all the obstacles when covid came dealing with the government you know all that kind of uh covid just to operate and then in his professional opinion he's going to give us an insight on his take on where the touring and live performance uh, road is going to lead this year. Metal Forever Mark, he's on vacation. He'll be back in a week or two, and we'll catch up with him then. Just a quick reminder, Monday nights, the Metal Mayhem ROC live radio show is on thatmetalstation.com. Visit our website for details. If you're on our Facebook page, I'm sure uh, you'll see more than enough ads. So, uh, let's get into it. I see the studio phone ringing now. So, that being said, uh, let's welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC, Randy Peck. Hey, Randy, how are you? How are you, John? Thanks for having me. We're doing well. Thank you for joining us. So, we're uh, pulling the curtain back on what it takes to keep the rock and roll heavy metal world going. Everything from the trucking and the front end and stagings of concerts to promoting the bigger shows. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your club and what you do and uh, how you've been dealing with this whole pandemic, but more importantly, where are we going in the future? Well, you know, I'll, I'll start off with your, your, your first inquiry, I guess that, you know, smaller club shows are, are just that they're, they're more condensed. I do work uh, for live nation now. So I, I, you know, get to see a little bit more of what a major production is from beginning to end. Uh, long days. Um, we can have some long days, but they're, you know, nowhere as near what it is at that scale. Um, you know, so it's pretty much get things in, get them to the stage, sound check, get the people in and, and you know, try to just make everything work. You know, I, I think on a smaller scale, you know, artists that are traveling in, in the club circuit are going into a different room every night. 
Now on the larger scale, an artist is going into a different amphitheater or a different arena every night, but they're more more commonly the same in you know the production value or the you know is pretty much the same night after night. The lighting is the same night after night. And then on the club level, you know, John, you guys know that's not the same. You know, some clubs have more lighting, some clubs have a bigger PA. So, you know, there's there's things like that that you you know we have to deal with and sort of make adjustments throughout the day and, and the bands have to sort of do the same. Uh some of that can sort of be preemptive or you know by what what we call in advance with a tour manager or production manager of like what's in the room and what lighting do you have so they sort of know what they're walking into. But you know I, I guess the, the difference would be there's probably the tendency to be more hiccups at the club level. Um we hope that we you know iron those out before the show happens in your questions about covid and uh you know the shutdowns that we've had you know it's the same thing you just try and do your best i mean when we when this first came upon us i mean you know we we did what we needed to do in the first crop of downtime when we sort of got shut down in around this time of year ago in march um thought it was going to be a, a short you know pause and it wasn't so knowing that when we were going to be able to reopen, we made adjustments and got, you know, the bar ready and the tables, you know, I had to buy some tables and I do have chairs in house, but, you know, we knew that we were going to be in a seated format and it was kind of like walking into everything blind, the way you set up the room, the way that you bring the patrons in, the way that you distance the patrons, um, the way that you try to maintain people sitting and people keeping masks on and all that. So it was, you know, it's a whole new thing and it, it hasn't been fun. Um, it's been nerve wracking. It's, you know, then compound that by the fact that, you know, we've had a governor sort of that's watched over everything and sort of micromanaged some things, some, some for the good, some for the not so good. It's, it's hard when you do the best you can. And I think that most of us that have even attempted to reopen, whether it's a bar or a restaurant or, you know, somebody like us, We've, we've, for the most part, again, we've all tried to do our best. So to be micromanaged with the health department coming in and the, the, you know, liquor authority coming in at the request of our governor to, you know, sort of check up on us or micromanage us or babysit us, that's probably, I guess I would say, something that a lot of you wouldn't think about is, is honestly been the toughest thing is to just be constantly watching over your shoulder. Because you've got all of those obstacles in front of you to do this right. And, you know, on any fragment of a moment, somebody can be in there and see somebody or two or three or four people are, you know, got up and wanted to like move around or sort of dance to the band that's playing or had their mask off for a long period of time or three people walked up to the bar together and it just, there was nothing you could do to be like, whoa, 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 you got to, you know, you have to be distanced. And so it's, it's, it's been different. It's been hard. Wow. Listening to that explanation, the obvious thought is never knowing when an ABC rep is going to walk through the door or a visit from the health department. Did that ever happen to you? And was it a zero tolerance situation? Well, you don't know because, you know, they kind of come in. And and from what I've seen, heard, whatever, they don't announce themselves. They have and they haven't. Um, they come in, there's been, you know, sometimes video taken, um, or they just go back and they, they file a report or they construct a report and file it. And, you know, you end up, you know, with a letter in the mail or something. So it's that kind of process, but no, I mean, we've been, we've been lucky. And again, we we were very vigilant from the, from the get-go, John, I mean, you came in the room, I think most bands that play there you know, there's plexiglass up on the stage to cut down any transmission that might go out into the audience. We are 12 feet apart from the stage to where patrons are seated. We've got the table spread apart. There's stanchions going to the bar in rows. There's only two places you can approach the bar. So, I mean, again, when we had our downtime, I sort of sat back and just really, you know, mapped out how I was going to redesign the whole room from the outer bar to the music room, which is the way that the montage is laid out. And just to to make sure that, you know, number one, we did it as safely as we could possibly do it. But number two, that we were we were aiming ourselves in the best position to not have, you know, 
anyone say that we were doing something that we shouldn't be. It's uncharted waters. It's you're doing the best you can. You've never, you haven't been prepared for this. There was no training overnight. You get uh, emailed a bunch of guidelines. The way I look at it as a, as a citizen, just following this, even though I am in the industry professionally, it was like, they're changing it as you go. And that must have been the frustrating part. It is. And then, you know, I'm glad you touched on that because, yeah, chapter two then came as like as we were open for the first couple of weeks when we were allowed to reopen, then came, whoa, 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 I didn't say that bars could open. It was like, well, yeah, you did, you know, and then it was like, well, okay. then in order to kind of corrupt what bars were doing and him sort of always trying to figure out, I mean, look, I don't want to, you know, have an interview where I'm just bashing the governor. That never seems to go off right because, look. On anything, there's a give and a take, and there's a middle road. And I think he's, you know, a lot of this has been done for safety, but there's been some things that I feel have just been over manipulated to, you know, just barely give us a chance to survive. But anyway, was when, you know, then the whole thing where somebody had to order food to have a drink. Well, you know, for the for the few of us that opened and, and sort of adopted the food in the restaurant sort of scenario and whatever, we always serve food and this, that, and the other anyway. But, you know, then came, we were, you know, looking at our patrons at, you know, in the in the establishment for a long period of time and some without a mask. So, you know, we we, we got around that too. We're just, you know, telling people and, and putting laminated cards, you know, five by sevens on the table that just said, when you're not eating, you have to wear a mask. And we sort of have to enforce it. Because, you know, you just, you've got to follow those guidelines. And in a restaurant, you're kind of coming in, you get seated, then you take your mask off, your food comes, you eat your food, you get up, you leave, it's over and done. But, you know, in a, in a scenario like ours, people are there for a little bit longer period of time. So those kind of things, there's some things that just haven't been well thought out, you know, um, and, and that, that's what's made it even harder. So people are sitting at tables, you have a plexiglass barrier on the stage, and for folks that aren't familiar with the Montage Music Hall, what, Randy, what's the occupancy for a sold-out show? Maybe four to 600 people? Yeah, no, right around the, like 350 to, you know, in, in that range. So tables aren't a natural uh, setup as it is. It's just a stage with a floor, with a bar. It's a pretty cool setup. So when you put the tables in there, um, did it work? Was it? You know, we sometimes get the, and, and not, not in any bad way do I, do I feel, um, you know, we are sort of niched as the, the rock metal um, club, which, you know, I wouldn't give that up for the world. You know, I, I, I think that that's something that I've, you know, 20 years into this, John, and, you know, that's that's been my thing. I mean, from Steel Music Hall with Avenged Sevenfold and Shine Down and some bands that are playing arenas now, you know, I'm pretty proud of the fact of where I came from coming out of radio and an active, like, alternative rock station, but, you know, some record labels that had those bands that I just mentioned, and then, you know, starting to, like, get to the pipeline of the agents that had those bands and being a promoter to be able to book those bands some of these agents had harder acts like uh, Lamb of God and Clutch and Machine Head. And, and, you know, so that's kind of where I've been for years. But anyway, we do everything at the Montage. So there's been occasion where we put tables and chairs up before. We do host the Jazz Festival every year, except this year. Mm-hmm. So that's always been a seated event. So it's not uncommon for us to have that layout, but it's not what we do every day. So, you know, it, it has been different. We're talking with Randy Peck. He's the uh, owner of Montage Music Hall, live uh, 30 plus years in the recording and broadcast industry. Circling back, you said you were with Live Nation. Let's touch on the outdoor summer tour business. How are these bands, how are they going to book a tour? These tours are booked six, eight months in advance, if not a year in advance. How are they going to all of a sudden just open up? You know, some insight that I've gotten and, and things that I probably can say, I guess, because, again, there's there's been a, you know, the, the Live Nation, AEG, you know, these are major corporations. They're not sitting on their hands, much like I was telling you that I wasn't during all of this. So, you know, I, I was listening to Eddie Trunk today, and, and I've seen some tours, too, but and Brian Adams was on there, and, 
you know, he brought up the fact that, you know, you've got dates in the UK in June, you know, at, at outdoor festivals or venues or sheds, whatever the amphitheaters, whatever you want to call it. And those are, you know, there's a lot of those. There's dates with metal bands overseas, like for June, July, August. So, and, and I know that Live Nation, you know, has posted that they're looking at resuming outdoor shows this summer. And again, I'm just going to, off of my two cents, knowledge, whatever, um, I just think it's going to be a situation where, you know, you got four seats filled with folks and you got four seats that aren't. So most of these, whether it's a, a key bank or it's the, you know, Jerry and Lake, I think that that's the way that these are going to be laid out. So we touched on, on this topic on my podcast that that's what I think is going to happen. So you're going to sell, you know, 50%, maybe 60% of these venues with distancing where like, like they did at the Bills games. Um, and maybe what you're going to have to see, and again, you got, you know, you got some big people working this out. So I'm sure they're, you know, they've already thought this through. Um, maybe bands, let's just, a Def Leppard, we brought them up, we'll use them as an example. Where they would come and play one night and move to the next city, maybe it's two nights. Maybe it's two nights at Darien, it's two nights at CPAC, it's two nights at Syracuse, whatever the case may be, in order to get that revenue that they need. So the tours will be a little bit longer. They may do double nights in some markets, maybe not all markets, and that's just what it is, which, you know, it's really the only way that I, I see that this can sort of be done to where the money is going to make sense. Because, you know, that's not going to go out on the road and play for half of what they normally were, because, you know, all of this stuff is done with tour accounting before the band ever, you know, gets on a bus or a plane ever leaves the airport, so to speak. Oh, you know what I mean? oh sure. And how much does it cost to go from A to B with all the necessities that entails the crew, the catering, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It all has to add up to a certain dollar amount. And that dollar amount has to be, you know, calculated and it has to be brought in for the tour to be able to maintain itself. How do these tours? How do these tours happen? Live Nation themselves—they have re-released new guidelines for touring acts, different stipulations, different this, different that. So behind-the-scenes stuff is changing. Michael Rapino from Live Nation just last week—he was the gentleman, one of the CEOs, talking about um, you're going to see shows sooner rather than later. Do you feel that? It's a viable business option. I absolutely do, because, you know, a little is better than nothing. And I'm not saying that, you know, that even in my world that, you know, right now, we're look, we're, we're sending in offers. We're taking holds now. We've got some shows that are on, on the calendar, Fozzie, um, uh, Carbon Leaf, and, and there's a few more that haven't been announced. Um, we're doing the best that we can. Obviously, there's some contingencies in our, our office offers to these agents that, you know, all of this is contingent on us being at 100% capacity. But we're looking now at the club level at September and beyond for the most part. When you start to look at Live Nation, you know, and things like that, again, it's, you know, one and one has to equal two. But, you know, there's, there's got to be some concessions made that, look, we all may have to take a little bit of a pay cut here to at least make something. Let's all go out and make a little. But, you know, in, in the other part of the thing, I, I think what you were, what you mentioned is, you know, I think that, again, what, what I sorted, what little bit I know, I guess this, you know, this is going to be based on like, like the Buffalo Bills thing where, you know, I believe when these events happen, you will have to prove that you're tested or you will have to take a test two or three days before the event and have something that you either email or you document at the gate or whatever the case may be that you've been, you, you know, you've had a negative test and, or now with the vaccines to where those are now part of all of this, that you've been vaccinated and that you can prove that. And it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, people testing is still hard to get, hard to do, hard to find, hard to get scheduled, the vaccines, whatever, but I think everything is moving a little bit quicker than it was. But I think that that's going to be the way that people are going to get into these shows and I think that, you know, the more that the testing happens, the more that the vaccines happen, the more that these capacities go from 50% to 60% to 75%, um, I, I think that we may be a longer stretch than maybe, you know, the outdoor and, and the, the 
indoor shows because I think that once we get to a certain level of vaccination, obviously, we'll be in better shape, all of us. And, and that's in, indoors as well. Now, when you start to talk about stadium tours, I think that is one thing that might be staggered more so than a amphitheater or an arena show because John, those are those are shows that the production is brought in sometimes, if not the day before, two days or maybe three days before. You know, you look at a Rolling Stones when they you know come to Buffalo a few years back. I'm pretty sure that was like a six or seven day, you know, pre date of the show load in i think that you know bands like that they have like two or three stages that they shut from city to city and it takes their entourage four days to to build it and then you know get the pa in there and get that going and ring it out and so that might be a tougher thing to try to think that you're going to do multiple dates and then get to the next city but again you know this is what live nation does for a living so you know don't (laughs) don't discount people that if you want to get it done you, you find a way to get it done now you talk about Brian Adams was saying in a recent interview with Eddie Trunk that there's shows going on over in Europe. But then I just read that like uh, festivals download is canceled this year. Waken festival is canceled this year. Some of the some of the bands we had on the Metal Mayhem ROC podcast, like the Ravens and the Anvils and the Armored Saints, they did have dates over in Europe scheduled. Those are canceled. So um, what is going on over in Europe? What gigs are actually being performed? Like what what, what kind of shows? What level shows? Um, well, I think when you're talking about festivals, you're talking about, uh, you know, a ton more moving parts. Yes. You know, when you're talking about 10, 15, 20 bands and all it takes to kind of keep those logistics moving and, you know, where they're from in terms of just a, a Brian Adams run of like five dates in the UK or something that's a little bit different. Oh. So again, whether it's the testing that they do pre-show, that kind of thing, I think might be a little bit more of a condensed working scenario that, that can sort of look like it might be something that's going to come to fruition. I don't think anybody knows with any certainty that any tour is going to, is going to, you know, going to happen, but I, you know, Every day seems to be like we're getting a little closer. Yeah, we're getting closer. Uh, you know, you you look at some of the southern states. Texas is proclaiming they're 100%. What do you got going on in terms of PR for a montage? You know, I, I've always had the knack of, like, chatting with people and love music. And, you know, I think if, if I've got something that I know about, I don't mind, you know, talking about it. Rochester Entertainment is like the, the company that I formed when I started all this and sort of went out on my own about like well about 15 years ago. So I started a podcast like Jesus. Well, it's probably it's before, well over a year, and then it just you know we just there, there was no way to to have content for the most part. You know, I just so um, then we started a new website, and you know, there's there's a because we're we're before COVID happened, we started to reach out to some Buffalo venues and I brought a new talent buyer in that's out of the Buffalo market. And we were going to grow and expand and do shows in Buffalo. And so we had all this going and then, you know, the wind got knocked out of our sails, but so we've got a podcast, like I said, called talking music and other stuff. It's on all the major things, but we've only done like six or seven because, you know, John, I, you know, I, I, it's, it was born to yes, be part of the montage and the bands that play there and, whether we do a pre-interview or we do something on site, but you know, right now I just don't want to go on there and just babble all the time and not really have something to say or something to promote. We've got a montage YouTube channel. We've got the podcast as a YouTube channel. And, you know, it's just, now it's just a matter of like, as we get back into this, you know, getting the content built up, you know, and I, and I feel that I've got to start small to, to grow everything a little bit bigger, but our goal is to film more shows and get them up on YouTube and interview bands, whether they're local or touring bands and, you know, just talk about music in general and what's happening. But, you know, until this all picks up again, there's just, there's not a lot, not, not a lot to do. I will have all your stuff on our show notes on our website. So listeners could find all that. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, Randy, it's, it's been great catching up with you. We could go on all night. Uh, my, girl, I know, right? my girlfriend yeah. uh, just got done making dinner and smells fantastic. So 
Um, I wish you the best of luck. And if anything we could ever do to help uh, the cause, feel free to reach out. Well, when this goes over, John, we'll be in touch. We'll, we'll, we'll get together and make sure that we're, you know, collaborating because the more the merrier. Of course. All right, John, take care. All right, my friend, have a good night. Bye. Yep, bye-bye. So there you have Randy Peck from Rochester Entertainment Group, owner of the Montage Music Hall up here in Rochester, New York. Randy's been influential in the live music scene for the last 15, 20 plus years. Like he mentioned, specializes in hard rock and heavy metal, but also, you know, books other kind of acts at his club. He's a asset to our community and we're lucky to have him. We're also lucky to have direct from Melbourne, Florida, Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent Southern Cal. Now, direct from a sunny beach in Florida. How's he not hot in all that leather? It's Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent Southern Cal with concert and music reviews, interviews, and more. Go ahead and pass the sunscreen. Here's Southern Cal. Like the guy says, from the sunny beach of Melbourne, Florida, Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent Southern Cal. Hey, Cal, how are things? Good, Vernomatic. How's things up there? Uh, <laughs> it's not sunny, but it's uh, it's it's spring. There's a little uh, there's a little spring fever in the air. Thanks for asking. Right. So uh, we gave you some heavy metal homework, and you're uh, fulfilled your duties. Uh, what do you got for us tonight? Well, tonight we're going to be talking with David Heath. Uh, he's the lead driver for a production company. He's been doing it for almost 40 years now. Uh, has worked with bands like Metallica, Motley Crue, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, and uh, a couple other ones, Paul McCartney, let's say, Eric Clapton. And then later on in the show, we're going to be talking with Taylor Henry. She is the uh, 80s in the Park Productions. Uh, she's been doing that for about five years, her and her family. Uh, a lot of the 80s bands, Quiet Riot, Winger, L.A. Guns, Lita Ford, and uh, we'll be with her a little bit later. Cool. So you met these people, you met David by uh, chance? Um, yeah, actually, he lives uh, just a little couple of houses down from my mom down here. And um, Taylor used to work for me, and that's how I got to know her. Oh, well, that's a, a perfect example of you never know uh, where this metal's going to be and what people do and the connection. And that, that sort of lends itself to what we're doing here tonight. We're uh, taking a peek behind the curtain. So oh, certainly does. All right. So, um, well, I see the light is flashing and uh, we have David on the studio line. So, uh, David, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. How are we doing, guys? Oh, we're doing well. Uh, I'm John the Vernomatic Verno and... Uh, one of my producers and show correspondents, Southern Cal's with us. I think you guys go back a little bit. Yeah, I've had the pleasure. So uh, you got a long, illustrious career working in rock and roll and transportation, staging, production. Give us a little history on how you got into it and how you've been involved with the rock and roll scene. Well, as, as a teenager in high school, I had a friend that was in a bar band. And I got to hang around with him and got interested in it. And then when I graduated from high school, I went out on the road uh, working for local bar bands and regional acts until 1983. And in 1983, I went to work full time for a trucking company and I've been with him ever since. Uh, any of those acts anyone would know of? Uh, one of the regional acts I worked for was from uh, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. It's called Nantucket. And we toured with ACDC on the Back in Black tour. Okay. All right. So they had a little bit of um, some national exposure. Um, yes. And when I, left, I left them. I actually, when I left them, I was a sound a front of house engineer when I was working for them. And But I left them, I became a uh, full-time truck driver after that. Why don't you give us a idea of what what it's like? What What's your schedule? What it takes to put a rock and roll tour together well from my standpoint of it you know as a truck driver i'm contacted by my co the company i work for and i'm if you know uh, put out on the tour to be in charge of all the trucks so my my job pretty much starts about two weeks before the tour does getting all the gear gathered up getting it to point b to point a for the rehearsals or to the first show or whatever and then 
you know, my job is the logistics. So, you know, we start about 10 o'clock at night loading out. Then we uh, get everything loaded out. We head to the next city. We get to the next city. We start loading at 8 o'clock in the morning. By the time we get our logistics done with the trucks, it's probably around noon, where the rest of the road crew, they start at 8, and they pretty much work all the way through till 2 in the morning. So there's a there's a couple crews within the big crew. Well, as far as the traveling crew, you'll have, like, you have your truck drivers, you know, you have your bus drivers, you have your uh, sound guys, you have your video people, you have your lighting people, you have your stage manager, production manager, the production assistants, your riggers. It's all different departments, but it's all managed by, most of the time, by one guy, the stage manager, who takes care of the routine stuff out on the floor, and that's the person I deal with mostly to get the trucks in and out production manager oversees everything is part of these people working what they call the local crew. Your local crew is something separate. Like just give you an example. Say if we were going into the Boston garden, just a good example, you have the local there that supplies all of the labor. You were basically, our guys are basically the technicians. They're telling everybody what to do and where everything goes. And those, and then the labor pushes it out and puts it in place. And not to demean any of these people. Most of these people have been working in a business for 25 or 30 years in these unions, so they definitely know what they're doing. You know, like some of the tours may be five or six trucks. I mean, I've done tours as big as 60 trucks, just my part of it. I've been on tours with the total amount of trucks of 206, which was U2. And, you know, I've done Beyonce with about 60 trucks on the production, and I've done, like, uh, a bunch of different stadium tours where you variate between – 25 to 50 trucks depending on the size of the stage and you know the size of the artist basically how can you two how can they do a rock and roll show and over 200 trucks are involved um was that the zootopia what tour was it that it was just immense was it in the round or something like that is that what you that, that, that was the 360 tour and when you say 206 trucks you got to remember there's three stages each stage requires 38 trucks. Then you have three sets of field covering, which is 15 trucks each. Then you have uh, the chair trucks and all these other, other trucks that come into play. But like say the, the primary tour trucks that go to every show would be your production trucks, which would be the ones I was in charge of. But you have three different guys that are in charge of these three steel, what we call the steel team trucks. So that's how can you end up when you're doing something that size to be able to do multiple shows a week, you have to have at least three stages. Oh, okay. And that's the big the big of the big. That's the, like you said, the U2, uh, I would say maybe the Stones, McCartney, some of those tours. Who are some of the bigger tours that you've worked with? Well, like I said, I work for U2. I've worked for Paul McCartney. I've worked for Roger Waters. I've worked for uh, Madonna, Beyonce. Lady Gaga, uh, you know, like some of the more metal bands, like what you guys are, I've, I've done like three different Metallica tours. I've done a couple ACDC tours. I've done four tours of Miley Crew, like three tours with Ozzy Osbourne. Um, yeah, those those are some of the things that, you know, like the Ozzy tours and Miley Crew stuff was in the late 80s, early 80s, mid 80s, and through till about, 2005 and then i started getting into more of the the bigger pop artists you know because i started doing more and more trucks Mm -hmm. david uh, i know you had told me you were um out on the road in albany new york um i believe with um pearl jam at the time when you had gotten the call about the shutdown um tell us a little about that if you could well, like I said, you know, we were starting, we we're basically just starting up our year last year. And we were in Albany and we were in the middle of uh, load, where we were already loaded in for rehearsals. And then we got the call that everything was shut down. And from that point on, I mean, you know, we took the equipment back to the vendors and that type of stuff. And then pretty much the entertainment business, as far as touring, just stopped. I mean, you know, the trucking companies are lucky because they can keep running their trucks and haul freight. But when you have the lighting companies, I mean, everybody just shut down. I mean, and it's been devastating to the people in this business. And it's really sad because 
you know, nobody, everybody, everybody stepped up to help everybody else, but nobody's thought of anything about stepping up to help the people in entertainment business. Besides no work, how has this affected you? And were you able to get any PPP for yourself, any assistance? Well, like I said, being a truck driver, you know, it affected us in the fact that we we're not hauling concert equipment. But I was able to work and, and, and keep keep driving, hauling freight. I didn't really care for it that much. So I did it for a few months, and I just decided I hadn't had any time off in 40 years, so I figured I'd take a few months off. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I'm doing okay personally. Uh, but you know, like I say, I know a lot of my brothers out there are hurting real bad because, you, know, you know, I'm pretty close to retirement. So I had money put away, but some of my younger friends and people, they really didn't. And it's really taken a heck of a toll on them. In your opinion, where do you think this is going? But what's your gut feeling, David? What's going to happen? I, I, I think that there will be some touring late this summer, especially like in amphitheaters and reduced seating. I, I, that's, that's the rumors that I'm hearing. I mean, I don't have any real confirmations on any of this, but just for rumors, I'm hearing from the people on the inside of this part of it. They're, you know, I'm hearing like sometime maybe September. You know, there may, you know, we may start to be doing. I mean, I'm sure it'll be some things going on. I'm down here in Florida, so if people want to do shows down here, they're they can come down here and do shows. I mean, they, you know, it's limited seating, but they can still come down here and do like, uh, you know, do like an amphitheater or something at, at, at say 50 percent capacity or something like that. But I, I feel like that realistically, I think the beginning of the 2022 may be when we'll see things get back to normal in our business. In my opinion, I, I, you know, that's also kind of what I'm hearing back from uh, uh, from most of the promoter friends I have and stuff like that. Yeah, well, Live Nation CEO Michael Rapino just yesterday or last night came out with a statement talking about how uh, large-scale American concerts are closer than everyone's anticipating. It's it's not just going to come back. It's just, there's just not going to be a switch flicked, and all of a sudden the the sheds across the country and every market's going to be filled. What do you? Yeah, and, and that's that's another another side effect of what you're talking about as well. It's like how many tickets can they you know actually sell, and how many tickets are they going to have to sell, and what's the price going to have to be for them just to even justify going out working? That that's that's part of the problem. How does this trickle down? Now, I don't know the ins and outs of bigger and higher scale uh, promotions, but I do certainly know that Live Nation, within the last six, seven months, has released new guidelines that have adjusted everything when it comes to the whole landscape of behind the scenes. Who's going to insure these tours? That's another, that's another thing that's way out, of my, uh, way out of my league on that, but... I, that was something I had been thinking about myself is like, you know, how is Live Nation going to protect itself from people going to a concert and then claiming they got COVID and, and try to sue them? I think that a lot of it depends on where, what part of the country you're going to be in. Um, being that me and David are both down here in Melbourne Beach, Florida, we have a local uh, event center here called the King Center. They're already kind of back up and running, having shows already. Um, at limited capacity, obviously, but I, I really think it's just going to depend on uh, your state that you're living in and and what the what the protocols are going to be for having any any shows coming through town. I know, especially up in New York, it's been a lot tighter up there, and things have been a little bit looser down here in Florida. Well, when you say they're already having events and there's people going, what kind of numbers are they? Housing. Well, let's say uh, the King Center is a 2,000 seat center, and uh, you know probably they're they're cutting it to 50 percent, kind of trying to keep some social distancing in there. Um, I know that they they've had events already, and they've got scheduled events coming up in the next few months. Um, as far as this, how they're practicing their social distancing, I'm really not sure. Mm. What What do you think, David? Um, has any of the purveyors that you were either contracted with or worked for been in touch with you with any information about possibly resuming or what's uh, what's the latest and greatest? Has anyone been in touch with you? I have, I have spoken to a couple of the people I work for and uh, 
I don't want to throw out names out there because, but I have spoke to some of them, and I know one of the bands that I work with a lot is uh is, is trying to book dates in June, but they're not sure if they're going to be able to do them. But they're trying, they're trying to get out there and start going again. But I honestly believe that as far as arena tours go, I think it's been a while before you see any arena tours of any significant size. Uh, like I say, I, I could see people going into like football stadiums or, or baseball fields and stuff like that where it could get more people in and still keep the social distancing instead of trying to go in and do a 75,000 people at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a dome or, you know, or like, you know, one of the football stadiums go in with maybe doing 25,000 people, you know, where you can spread them out in social distance. I think that I think the capacity is not going to be. If you're doing a big stadium show, I think the most people they're gonna probably let you to have in there in the near future is gonna be maybe twenty five thousand people. Because yeah. if they're gonna have to do social distancing, you know, you're gonna have to have so much spacing where you can do seventy five thousand people normally, you're only gonna be able to be twenty five to thirty. And uh catch twenty two on all that is the only way they could feasibly book a stadium tour is by having forty to sixty thousand people there. There's it just yeah. does it just doesn't add up. You can't book, you know, Gillette Stadium and the Boston market because you're you're paying unless dues and permits and fees are reduced accordingly to the amount of attendees that are gonna be allowed. I think that's the only way it's gonna happen. Well, I think as far as the bands go, it was just just an opinion here, and I don't know any facts about this, it's just my opinion. They're going to have to come in with a lot smaller set. You know, they're bringing the the, the the needed amount of lighting and PA to cover the room, but they won't be bringing all in the big elaborate stages and all that. It'll be a more really simple setup where they can cut their costs down quite a bit. Instead of having 50 trucks in the stadium, they might go in with 15. Yeah. You know, that, that would cut back on their crew costs, their labor costs, their trucking costs, their busing costs. That would keep their costs down. Where if they were doing, say, instead of doing one night in the stadium, going to do three nights, and and then that way you only have the cost of one load in and one load out, but you have the cost of the building. But still, you could you can bring your profit margin up quite a bit if you did like three nights at twenty five thousand people instead of trying to do one night at twenty five thousand. You know, if you can only get twenty five thousand people in the venue, you only get seventy five thousand in. Then you know the cost of the ticket. If you if you try carrying that big production is going to be people not going to be able to afford to go. So you still got to keep it where people can afford to buy the ticket. So I think that it will probably be a reduced size stage and lighting and stuff like that. And I think it will be, they'll have to do multiple nights and reduced seating. Are the people going to come? Sure. People are, you know, starving for live shows, but they may not be comfortable. It may, they may jump through all these hoops and the attendance may be really low. Well, that, that's not, that, that, that right there is going to be the telltale when people do start the tour is if people are comfortable enough to come out and go to the shows. I know that, you know, the vaccinations and stuff are proceeding, but I don't know, you know, I don't really watch the news. So it's just depressing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I know that, you know, that people are getting vaccinated and all that, but, you know, they're still saying you got to practice social distancing and, you know, that this is not going to go away. This, you know, like say, Oh, I think Falachi the other day said to probably be back to normal of uh, some kind of normalcy by the beginning of 2022. So, mm-hmm. and how but, and how do you practice social distancing at a concert? That that you know, like I said, I mean, you know, you're gonna have to have. I mean, I know in Europe that they did, did a kind of like they set up little platforms. Yeah, out in the crowd, like it's like you see a front of house platform, you know, where sound mixers all are. I've seen some some things where they set up like little platforms and that platform holds like 10 people. And those 10 people are, are you know, you buy the block of tickets for that platform. And that's how you social distance people. Oh. You know, that, that was one of the things that I had seen them doing. So I don't know if that would work or not in the States. But I mean, you know, if you had to be one way to keep the people separated. You know, not that there's a lot of them left here in America now, but a few months back, I went down to Fort Pierce and caught the Metallica drive-in concert. I was thinking that if uh, if you're going to keep them outside and try to keep people distance, 
these drive-in theaters would be great if you could set up a stage, everybody's in their car, you pump out the sound, you can either listen through the simulcast or you can listen to whatever the band's PAs are putting out. Um, I thought that was a really a good idea for something, especially in these times, that drive-in theater kind of show. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I agree with you on that one too. Plus, you know, if you had a convertible, you're all set. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Cal, anything else you want to ask David while we're uh, wrapping this up? Well, been uh, been that you've been on the road so many years. Um, we've heard the song uh, "Turn the Page" by Bob Seger or Jackson Brown's "The Loadout." Um, have you had any run-ins with any people that you've been on the road and uh, you know might have been look at these long-haired hippie people coming through our town? Anything like that? Yeah, I'd say a lot of that back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, but after my hair fell out, I didn't really have it. But everybody, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, it's like years ago, you go on a truck stop, right? You know, because, you know, all the truck, you know, buses are stopping there because, you know, after they showed it, one stop get something to eat. And I can remember a few times going into truck stops, a Motley crew that got right entertaining. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Here's a question for you How much interaction do you have? with the headliners or is it just you just happen to be working for them well you know years ago a whole lot more interaction now it's pretty much it's so departmentalized i rarely see the artists or and i rarely talk to any of them i mean uh, you know i have in the past you know had conversations with quite a few of them but you know in recent years it's just it's been more like i'm so busy because I'm doing so many trucks and such big tours and the artists are so well protected and, you know, with the security and all that. So you don't really, you know, you don't really need to talk to them anymore. I mean, you know, I've talked to Roger Waters some over the last few, few tours I've worked with him and like, you know, I was out with you too. I was lucky enough that Fergie sat down at the table with me and had lunch one day, but you know, like those, those incidents are very rare anymore. You know, they, you know, and you, you want to show them respect. You don't want to get up in their, their face and start asking them dumb questions and stuff. I try to emphasize that to my drivers as much as I possibly can. You know, stay away from the talent because there's nothing's good going to come out of you trying to talk to the talent. Yeah. It's like you don't want to come across as being a fanboy. You got to remember that you're working for these people as a professional. Yeah, and, and that's just, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Of Roger Waters myself, I really like enjoy work for Roger, but I'm also a big Metallica head too. But you know, I I think I've talked to uh, one of the band members of Metallica one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, speaking about being uh, friends with Roger Water and liking him a lot, can you tell us um, any of your favorite cities and uh, favorite artists that you've worked for over these years? Well, like I say, I thoroughly enjoyed working for Shania Twain, Roger Waters, Eric Clapton. They're all been great people to work for, you know. And and but, you know, like I say, but that also being back in the day where you could actually talk to the artist a little bit more than you can now. So, but my favorite female artist of all time would be Shania Twain. And as far as a male artist, they'd be a coin toss between Roger Waters and Eric Clapton. So, uh, you know, and I would be happy to tour with any one of those people at any time for as long as they want to go out and tour. Very nice. Any anybody that you might want to have had any problems with or anything? Yeah, there's been a few of them, but I'm not going to mention no names because they still climb to the company I work for. <laughs> yeah, David, we have a segment on our show called uh, Metal Confessions. Is there any confession you could share that's a fun antidote, or a, you know, I'm sure you have tons of road stories. Something you could share with our listeners that they would find entertaining and informative. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I have one, but I really can't share it because it was sealed up in my divorce. <laughs> right. well, okay, well, I guess that's uh, what it's like uh, in the world of rock and roll. You know, there's always something going on. But for your own um, well-being, I hope things get back to some kind of normalcy very soon. Well, um I'm going you know, I, I just purchased a house down in Melbourne Beach and in the process of doing some remodeling here. And once I get this done, I'll be headed back out on the road, but I'll be more or less, more than likely just hauling freight for a while. But I do need to get back to work and I do have that opportunity. I can go back to work anytime I feel like it. All right, Cal, uh, 
anything you want to add or um, we'll let David get I going? I think we're good. I, I appreciate it, David. Thank you for doing this with us. Hey, not a problem, buddy. Maybe I'll see you with the campsite this weekend. Yep, we'll see you soon. Thanks, All David. Right, Take care. This edition of Metal Mayhem ROC is brought to you by Mr. V's Street Style Vending and Special Events Catering. Visit our lunch cart in the College Town District at Strong Memorial Hospital or hit up the Late Night Weekend location at the corner of Monroe Avenue in South Goodman. Look us up at mrvsvending.com for catering, pricing, and availability. That's Mr. V's Street Style Vending and Special Events Catering. Now, back to Metal Mayhem ROC. So we have another industry guest today. Southern Kale, why don't you uh, give us a little history? Who do we have next? Well, we're going to be talking to Taylor Henry. She uh, was involved in the 80s in the park productions, um, about five years into that business. She's worked with many of the big name uh, 80s hair bands, let's say Quiet Riot, Winger, L.A. Guns, Lita Ford. And she does a lot of the, um, I, after reading this list, I would say that she pretty much did everything um handling day of event logistics and the sponsors and security and box office and press passes and guest passes and just being a talent liaison for the bands and for the uh, producers of the show Mm, sounds good well um let's get her on live from colorado we have taylor henry hey taylor welcome to metal mayhem roc hi it's very nice to be here how are things over in the rockies Oh, it's very snowy today, but we're definitely getting more into spring lately, which is very, very nice. (laughs) I know we're getting closer every day. It is March. Um, uh, I want you to say hello to our co-host tonight, uh, Southern Cal. Guess you guys knew each other from the Melbourne, Florida area. Yes, I definitely knew Southern Cal from there. (laughs) Hey, Taylor. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. (laughs) Looks like um, music production and concert promoting sort of in the family blood. Give us a quick little history of your experience in all this. Yeah. So um, I worked with, like you said, my family, my dad, my brother, my stepmom, um, whole big family production. My dad came up with an idea to put on an 80s concert and uh, it kind of just blossomed from there. So I learned everything from the bottom up on how to even produce a concert or how to talk to talent, you know, recruit staff, do the logistics. What was the name of your company? Uh, 80s in the Park Production LLC, you said? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, did this, uh, your LLC, did they actually book the bands? Were they uh, were they the promoters or were you just staging in a production company that put it on? Nope, everything was us. Um, so like I said, my dad had an idea to put on a concert and we learned everything from the bottom up. We booked everyone ourselves. Um, we did have you know, contractors who came into the stage and everything like that, but everything was through us. How many of these did you do and what kind of bands were you bringing in? Um, off the top of my head, I believe we did six. <laughs> I was involved in five of them myself. Um, I was in college when we started all this, so I had to come into town and do all that. But we worked with all original 80s bands. That was the whole big thing about us is we didn't really want to book a lot of covers. Um, or anything like that. So we booked the original ones, like uh, like Southern Cal was saying earlier. It was, um, you know, like Lita Ford, Quiet Riot, L.A. Gun, uh, all original, as original as we could get. <laughs> was this in the last 10, 15 years? What was the time frame we're talking? Yeah, um, so 2013 to about 2018. I'd like to add also, I know, Taylor, that in, in addition to the bands, um, not only did you bring in all these talents and stuff, but also um, you brought in people like uh, Tani Katane and um, oh, the, the Cherry Pie Girl. I can't remember her name offhand. Bobby Brown? Bobby Brown, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting both of those ladies um, at the Melbourne Auditorium when we went up to see Quiet Riot. And we uh, had met up with you and just how happy Heidi was to actually meet Tani Katane. Um, amazing, you know, just in it, not only addition to the bands, but it was a very totally eighties theme, um, concert experience. We did do a bunch of other stuff. Like we had, uh, eighties, like theme parties and a bunch of our promotion was talent. Like he's saying like Bobby Brown and all them. Now, Vern, you, you had met, um, when we were down at that uh, record store up there in satellite beach, um, 
the uh, Jack Starr from the band Burning Star, who was a local guy here, but also um, had done a, quite a few things. And he would he would be involved not only in the day of the show, but I think he usually came in and uh, would play the after parties that they would have at night um, with some of these bands also. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack Star, Burning Star, Virgin Steel. So, Taylor, let me ask you, um, you were involved with five or six of these. How was the turnout? So we kind of had a change in venues multiple years. Um, so it's a little hard to compare. That first year, we had a very outside event, totally outside. Um, and that was a really, really good turnout. But over the years, I noticed that we were getting a lot of the same people. So I would have ticket holders that would be buying like way in advance because we just knew them. Um, so it was a lot of the same group of people. Uh, we definitely did get a bunch of add-ons through other things. Like there was a big 80s cruise that would that would uh, be around the same time as us. So I would get people off the cruise that would come to the event and stuff like that. Um, but it was definitely a solid group of the same people year to year. That's what I was getting at because a lot of those rocking cruises mm-hmm. originate from down there. There's a lot more regional two or three day festivals that go on. Not so much in the Florida area, but you know, the MC threes, the rock, Lahoma rock on the range. And a lot of those festivals have gained momentum in the last 10, 15, 20 years. So is that how your father conceived this idea? He saw what was going on in these other areas and thought, Hey, we could do something like that down here. Actually, what it was is a runaway country, a country festival was a big thing in um, Melbourne. And I'm sure Cal has been or knows about it. But we were at that event when he came up with the idea. He's like, we could do something like this. But yeah, Rocklahoma, MC, all of those were big influences after we started researching. Now, when you're doing these shows, how was it personally interacting with these bands? Were they cool? Did Obviously, you're going to get your fair share of divas and people acting like it's 1988 still when it's, you know, 20,000 or 2016. <laughs> how, how was uh, that experience for you personally? Um, I worked the backstage a lot, so I did a bunch of the trailers and I did get to interact with a lot of people. Um, overall, it was really good. I had bands that I really loved working with. Uh, I had people I loved having back year to year. There were tour managers who were really good. But like you said, yeah, there's always ups and downs to it. Overall, it was it was great. Uh, working with the bands was really, really good. And it was just fun. It was crazy, but it was fun. Now, why did you stop doing it? Did COVID kill it or did it, it run its course or a combination of the two? Um, kind of a combination of the two. Uh, we definitely, COVID is definitely a reason now that we probably wouldn't be doing any of it. Um but it kind of just ran its course, you know, like you were just saying, a bunch of the concerts have had to expand, broaden their brush with who they're getting in. Um, and the same thing's happening. You have a very limited time on these decade-themed festivals. Um, and I'm I'm not a child of the 80s. I'm a child of the 90s. And we're reaching that point where, you know, it's more the 90s than it is the 80s that you can kind of move with. Who are, who are some of, of your more favorite bands over the years that you worked with? Um. My favorite band probably all together was L.A. Guns. Um, I know we had them a few times, but because everything's so crazy and I was working, you know, multiple places, like you said in my intro, I was at the ticket booth, I was managing the bar, the staff, security, backstage. Um, I actually never really got to see a band play, like, all together. Um, and L.A. Guns was one of the first ones where my stepmom came and got me from the ticket booth. And she was like, look, you have to come see at least one band. So I got to go backstage and hear them play and watch them from backstage. And it was one of the best experiences of all of 80s in the park for me. I will say this. They were probably, um, besides Quiet Riot, I would say L.A. Guns was my more favorite band that I actually, I've never seen them before. So it was nice. Um, they they rocked. You know, I was, I was thoroughly surprised. Um, Lita Ford being another one, too. Uh, she was a great talent to have. Now, when you guys were promoting this, were wh- who was handling the meet and greets? Was that an event done by the band? Yeah, so the meet and greets was something um, that the bands decided. 
So they either told us if they were okay with it or if they weren't. And um, the biggest part of our meet and greet was a, was that some bands actually did meet and greets, like you're saying, they handled them themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mostly we had certain bands that were booked to play the after parties, um, which was much smaller. It was, you know, held in like a conference room or like a ballroom of a hotel. So they would be playing at that party and then they'd be hanging out. So that's where people would really get to hang out with all of them. Now, moving forward, in your professional opinion, where do you think things are going in 2021 with this COVID and tours and the, the whole promotion aspect? I think it's going to be really different all over the map. Um, so like you said, southern states are opening up a little bit more. Uh, but here in Colorado, everything is still like really locked down. So um, I have heard of a few places doing like drive-in concerts. And I think that is going to be a big thing moving forward until, you know, everything's really secure is doing those half capacity, those social distance, um, those drive-ins, just making sure that everyone is still, you know, having fun, but the whole experience is going to change. Everything is going to feel more like a private concert versus these big mass, uh, like how said 60,000 seat venues, they're not really going to be of use right now. What kind of music are you into, Taylor? Uh, I listen to everything, and I really do love 80s since, you know, we've been doing it for so long. Uh, but I'm I'm more of an alternative person, still, you know, in my heart, like Panic at the Disco, Chemical Romance, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely go to a concert, but I would, I would steer more towards the outdoor venue, um, the social distance venue or the drive-in. I would agree with that, too. We touched a little bit earlier in the segment with David about um, I had mentioned that I went down to Fort Pierce, Florida, to see the uh, drive-in Metallica show. And to me, I thought that, um, you know, it's, uh, you could set up a stage at any of these drive-in places. And not only can you have like the, the house PA playing, but you could also pick it up simulcast, which is what we did listening to it in the truck. Um, I was, it was actually, I think that would be a good direction uh, if you're going to start to do things and get them rolling again. I think that drive-in concert would, um, from my experience with the Metallica show, would be um, a, definitely a, a way to go for sure. Well, um, Taylor, I want to thank you for stopping in tonight. It's um, We learned a lot, and I commend you for uh a job well done, waving the flag of 80s metal. And it was, you know, if you think uh, it was fun getting to know those guys in the 2020s, imagine what it was like in 1986. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, thank you definitely for having me. It was it was fun. Okay. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> thank you, Jen. All right. Take care. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. So, Taylor Henry, uh, an old school rocker, or actually a young rocker, learning the ways of the old school. She seems like a cool girl. You know, I wish that we um, had, she was still putting on these shows. We don't get a lot of big gigs. We had Ted Nugent, Striper, we happened to see Twisted Sister. Our event center, the King Center, has been uh, bringing in some bigger acts now, which is nice. But um, the whole event there, it was it was a big event when they used to do this in the park. And it would be nice if uh, maybe someday they, they get a little itch again and they, they, they put on another event like that because it was always nice. Um, and they always did a good job. They always got the best talent that they could for the show from uh, B-list to A-list. Um, always a, a good job done. I want to thank you for doing your heavy metal homework. And both of those people, David and... Taylor were informative and they gave us a, again, a a unique peek behind the metal curtain in rock and roll, what it takes to get things together. So kudos to you. Any parting shots before we let you go? Well, I just, I'd like to thank both of our guests tonight. And I'd like to thank you for having me on tonight, Vern. Of course. So uh, get back to the beach and enjoy that sun, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Will do. Thanks, Vern Medic. I want to thank Southern Kale for putting the time and effort into rounding up uh, David and Taylor. Uh, Great work on his part.
I'm the Vernomatic. Just a few housekeeping things. I want to remind you about going to the website, metalmayhemroc.com. Check out some back shows. Uh, fill out that email newsletter and get yourself in the drawing for free merchandise as well as updated information with us. Let's see. Uh, Metal Forever Mark, my partner in all this, he'll be back in the next couple weeks. He's handling, uh, he's on vacation. He's handling some personal business, but he'll be back soon enough. That's about it. Oh, hey, and don't forget about the Monday night live Metal Mayhem radio show. You could be found right at thatmetalstation.com, or the best way is just go to our website. There's a direct link to it. This show's very cool. It's a live interactive chat room kind of experience. I'm playing tunes, taking requests, talking metal. It, it's fun, and it's, um, you know, it's a good way to get your metal in on a Monday. So that's about it. We'll see you next week with some new material. Until then, for Metal Forever Mark, I'm the Vernomatic, and as always, keep it heavy. See ya. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE-DB Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.